0: It allegedly started with a butt dial. That led to a very dramatic and very public power struggle for Rogers Communications. It was compared to the TV show Succession, as family members fought for control and for the future of Canada's telecommunications empire. Rogers has more than 11 million customers and last year raked in over $19 billion in revenue. Alexandra Pazatsky has been breaking news on the Rogers story since it started. She covers the telecom industry for The Globe, and she just published a book about this called Rogers vs. Rogers, the Battle for Control Over Canada's Telecom Empire. Today, Alexandra joins us to talk about the saga that pulled the Rogers family apart, risked a $20 billion deal, and what it all means for the industry today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Alex, thanks so much for being here, and happy Book Launch Week.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always love to be on the show.
0: So before we get into the story itself, there, there is a lot going on here. So I think we should maybe just set up who the main players are in this story.
1: So, So who do we need to know about here? For sure. So the first person that we all need to know is Ted Rogers the legendary founder of Rogers Communications, a visionary entrepreneur who built this company from essentially nothing into a massive uh, telecom and media empire. Mm. And in addition to Ted, we have his wife, Loretta Ann Rogers, who bankrolled his business ventures and, you know, personally paid for the first bits of uh, cable to be laid. Uh, And then Ted and Loretta have four children. So the eldest of their children is Lisa Rogers, followed by their first and only son, Edward Rogers, followed by Melinda, and lastly, Martha. Okay. Okay.
0: So that kind of sets out the family structure here. And of course, they've all been involved in the company somewhere or the other, some more than than, than others. Um, But big changes were kind of happening after Ted Rogers died. So this was in 2008. What did that mean for the company?
1: Yeah. So let's back up for just a quick second and talk about uh, Edward and Melinda, because mm-hmm. these are the two of the Rogers children who kind of took uh, the greatest interest in the company. Uh, were both working their way up through the company over the years. And many within the company's ranks sort of perceived there to be a rivalry between them. But there were always these questions kind of swirling around succession because, Ted was this larger-than-life character. There were you know, jokes within the company that there was no decision at Rogers too small for Ted to make. And what ended up happening is that rather than passing the reins to either of his children, um, Ted ended up leaving it up to the board to decide who would be the next CEO of Rogers. But he indicated a very strong preference for the head of the wireless business, a man named Nadir Mohammed, who was not a Rogers family member. And that is indeed who the board selected to be the CEO. I think let's just
0: take a second here and kind of establish some, some of the basics here. Again, before we, we get into the heart of it, um, since Ted Rogers died, how, how does control of the company work? Because I understand there's
1: a control trust. How, how does this work? So Rogers has what's called a dual class share structure. Mm-hmm. And so there's two classes of shares. You've got your class A shares, which come with 50 votes each. And then you've got your Class B shares, which come with no voting control over the company at all. Okay, And 97.5% of these voting Class A shares are held within trusts that are all overseen by the Master Trust, the Rogers Control Trust, which is controlled by the Rogers family and close family friends. So this basically ensures then that the family will always have control then of the company. And that is exactly the goal that Ted had, was to ensure that his family maintained control over Rogers for as many generations as Canadian tax law would allow. Okay,
0: All right. So that's kind of the backdrop to what happened. Uh, And then we get to fall 2021, where where things kind of begin here. And this whole thing apparently started because of an inadvertent call, uh, a butt dial, if you will.
1: Uh, so, So what happened there, Alex? Yeah. So the butt dial is the subject of some dispute, Um, you know, in one version of events. This is um, Joe Natale's version of events. And Natale is the CEO at the time. That's right. Natale is the CEO. And uh, he's, you know, sitting at home. He calls his chief financial officer, Tony Staffieri, Mm -hmm. And uh, Tony, who is sitting in front of the Four Seasons where he and his wife own a condo, he's chatting with a guy who used to be Roger's general counsel. His phone uh, allegedly answers the call while it is in his blazer pocket. And he's unaware of this uh, at the precise moment where he's discussing his plans for how he will remake the leadership ranks of Rogers Communications when he imminently becomes the CEO. Hmm. Okay, so I mean, I imagine that was pretty shocking to Joe Natale, the current CEO, to be hearing that
0: then with this kind of inadvertent call.
1: One would think. I mean, as far as I know and as far as my reporting has been able to reveal, Joe thought that everything was going quite well. Obviously, um, there were some tensions between him and Edward, who is the uh, controlling shareholder and at the time the chairman of the board but you know he felt he had the support of uh, Melinda and Loretta and other directors he had just uh, gotten this big takeover this 20 billion dollar deal to acquire Shaw Communications Inc which is you know right. the the deal of Ted Rogers's dreams and i guess i should say so there is another version of events which is that Natalie learned of this plan through some other Means Perhaps um, by looking through Tony's emails, or perhaps it was leaked to him by Mm. another board member, uh, for instance, Melinda. Um, But through whatever means he learns of this plan, he learns of this plan, and he goes and takes this to the independent directors who sit on the Rogers board, as well as ultimately to Edward himself. And he says well, I would like to fire my CFO because I do not trust Tony Staffieri, this guy who plans to take over my job. And in a meeting with Edward, this is where Edward says to him, well, don't blame Tony. This wasn't Tony's plan. This is my plan. And I do not agree to fire Tony. And Joe essentially gives him an ultimatum. He says, well, it's going to be either me or Tony. And Edward says, well, I would be happy to work with you on an exit package. Okay, okay, so they're making moves to
0: have Joe Natale leave his position at CEO., uh, but then there's this really dramatic meeting that
1: that takes place. So, so what happens here, Alex? So several of the Rogers family members begin to have a change of heart, primarily Loretta Rogers, the Rogers family matriarch, and her youngest daughter, Martha Rogers, who initially seemed to be, you know, in agreement with Edward. And then they start to feel that the independent directors have a very different view of Joe Natale's performance as CEO than the one that they had been presented by Edward and one of Ted's longtime lieutenants. And so this all comes to a head at this this next board meeting where Edward is talking about, you know, moving forward and we're going to get Tony in this role. And then one of the independent directors says, hold on, we have a better idea. And he passes the floor to Martha, who reads out this resolution that essentially rescinds Joe's quote unquote retirement. Wow. And fires Tony Staffieri and puts a bunch of ring fencing around Edward to curb his alleged interference with the company's management.
0: Okay, so this meeting is happening. Edward thinks this, you know, we've got the plan. We're going to kind of make this this announcement. But then somebody else stands up and says, wait a minute, let's do something different. And all these other people are backing this other plan. And so that's what ends up happening. That's right. And there's a press release that comes out saying Tony Steffieri is gone as CFO of Rogers, effective immediately.
1: And Alex, this is really the first time the public is hearing anything about this, right? Exactly. So all of this has been kind of quietly brewing in the background. But it's this press release that kind of goes off like a grenade on Bay Street because Rogers is in you know, the midst of trying to get approval for this massive deal, and now all of a sudden they're parting with their chief financial officer and they're not giving any reason for the departure. And it's not like a transition, right? It's not like this guy's retiring and it's going to be over the next six months. It's like, no, he's gone effective immediately. Somebody else is in, in his place. And, uh, and so everyone's kind of going, what the heck just happened here? And it actually took us quite a while at the Globe to um, crack this open, um, roughly a week before we were able to report, like, what had really happened here behind the scenes. So, I mean,
0: this seems like a really big blow to to Edward Rogers, right? His plan to oust the CEO
1: didn't didn't work. Uh, How how did he take that? So Edward um, essentially struck back by deciding that he would fire the independent directors who had gone against him. And so he starts to put a plan in motion that will essentially remove them um, and at the same time, as soon as the fa- the other family members learn of this plan, they decide that they're going to remove Edward as the chair of the board. Hmm. And so these kind of two things are happening in parallel with one another.
0: So I mean, in in essence, like, are there like two like two
1: boards happening here? Like, how how is this working? So what ends up happening is that Edward decides that he's going to. Uh, Change the board through a written shareholder resolution, which has essentially never been done as far as we know in Canada. I don't know if it's really ever been done anywhere to have such a major restructuring of the board without holding a shareholder meeting. So there's a little doubt that Edward as the controlling shareholder has the ability to reconstitute the board of Rogers Communications. But the part that's unusual is that normally you would have to hold a shareholder meeting and then you would have to give a certain amount of notice to assemble all of the shareholders Um, so that, you know, they can ask questions and they can, you know, hear the rationale for the decision. Mm. And so he says, well, no, I've reconstituted the board. Now I've removed these five directors. I've replaced them with my own chosen directors and the company saying, we don't think that this is legally valid. And so for a period of time, Rogers effectively has there's a lot of confusion around who is the board of Rogers Communications, because you have Edward saying this is the board. And then you have uh, the management team and the the five directors saying, no, we're still the board, um, to the point that one (laughs) of my sources referred to this situation as Schrodinger's board, because you don't know who the real board of Rogers is. Ultimately, what ends up happening, it lands in court in B.C. And the court ends up uh, deciding that what Edward has done is legally valid. And now the new board is in place.
0: Okay. Okay, so after after all of this happens, Edward Rogers is is the chair. He's got his new board. He's got the approval of, of the BC courts. Uh, what happened to uh, to Joe Natale though?
1: So as soon as Edward's new board is in place, everybody thinks, okay, so I guess that's it for Joe, because obviously this whole fight started over Joe. Um hmm. but you know, a number of directors and, and family members had raised the issue of, you know, how destabilizing it would be to the company to have the CEO exit in the midst of the Shaw deal. Mm. And so immediately in the aftermath of this BC court decision, this press release comes out saying, Joe Natale is the CEO of Rogers and he has the board's support. However, what Joe ends up doing um, through a series of meetings with Edward and their various allies and legal representatives is, putting forward this list, this document of his principles, basically things that he needs to be in place for him to feel like he can run Rogers effectively. It sounds like a list of demands almost then. This is certainly how several of the directors um, viewed this list. But the board ends up deciding after, you know, seeing this list and, and hearing from Joe, he actually speaks to the board, um, that this isn't going to work. And they end up deciding ultimately to fire Joe And put Tony Staffieri in first on an interim basis... Uh, run a CEO search. Of course, Tony uh, emerges victorious and is currently the CEO of Rogers. That's amazing. So that's like really
0: a 180. So the board comes out in first in support of Natalie and then actually, you no, know, he's out and Stephiri is back in. So, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to understand why people compare this to succession, right? There's so dramatic. Uh, and the other thing is it's so it's so public, Alex, right? I mean, is this often happening behind the scenes and we don't see it? or Or like, is this a really kind of a different situation where we're seeing this kind of family drama play out this way?
1: It is, uh, in my experience as a business reporter, and I've been on this beat for four years and have covered other business beats um, over the past decade. And this is, you know, the most dramatic public family and corporate feud that I have personally ever covered. Um, I think it's quite unusual. You know, Canada's business community is seen as very buttoned down and proper and and honestly sometimes quite boring. Mm. And this was this dramatic fight that really shook the business community. We have a lot of these dual class share structure, like family-controlled companies in this country. We have a lot of them. And a lot of these other, you know, families who control public companies were watching this, I'm told, kind of biting their nails because this is a perfect example of what can go wrong when you have this type of share structure. And, you know, shortly after this whole uh, leadership change had played out um, around Christmas, Edward gets this video message from Brian Cox, of course, the patriarch from HBO's hit show Succession, essentially congratulating Edward on his real-life succession.
0: Edward, this is from Suzanne. Congratulations on your real-life succession at Rogers Communications and also having Joe Natale to fuck the fuck off.
1: And for me, when this video surfaced, this was kind of like the moment where the walls between fiction and reality just came crashing down. I was just completely stunned. We'll be back in a minute.
0: Okay, so... The backdrop to this whole struggle was the deal for Rogers to take over Shaw Communications, which, which did end up happening in the end. Uh, but I think we should touch on this a little bit, Alex, because it, how, how does this, I guess, fit into the,
1: the family power struggle? Of course. So the one thing that the family was all united on throughout all of this was the importance of Shaw. Shaw uh, was the company that Ted always would have wanted to acquire. And this was kind of the coming together of these two legendary cable families. Mm. And one of the things that has come out is that Edward essentially had reservations about Joe Natale's ability to complete that deal and to integrate the two companies. And this is why he felt that he wanted to enact a management change quickly rather than waiting for after the deal had closed. Meanwhile, other members of the board felt that, you know, right in the middle of the deal was the worst time to change the CEO. Um, and Shaw actually, you know, stayed very much out of it throughout because, you know, this was a Rogers family situation. They felt they didn't want to intrude. But, you know, they had they had another offer for an acquisition. They had an offer from Bell and they had turned down that deal In favor of the Rogers offer. And so you can just imagine the Shaw family sitting there biting their nails being like, oh, my gosh, can these guys just stop fighting and get this deal done?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is an important point, because when a company kind of seems to be in chaos, that, of course, has other ramifications. Right. And there was a lot of talk at the time, too, about how damaging this this family saga, this family drama could actually be for the company Rogers.
1: Uh, Was it damaging? Like looking back at it, Alex, how did how did it affect the company? I mean, there was a lot of noise um, in terms of effect on the stock price. Like we did see big jumps in the stock price, but it's always a bit hard to tell exactly what is responsible because at the same time, you had a lot of uncertainty over whether the Shaw deal would close. And, you know, usually when you are a company acquiring another company, that also affects your stock price. And then there's other issues macroeconomic. But at the end of the day, I mean... You look at Rogers' financial results and, you know, it looks like the company is doing just fine. They're acquiring wireless customers. They're still a very profitable company. Their revenues are growing. They were able to close the deal. Um, so, and, and all of this in spite of the fact that they suffered a massive nationwide outage to all of their services in July of 2022. Oh, yeah, that's right. Of course.
0: <laughs> um, OK, so on the Rogers-Shaw deal, there was also a lot of concern uh, about competition.
1: So what have we seen there? Yeah, so a lot of the concern stemmed particularly around uh, Shaw's wireless carrier, Freedom Mobile. Freedom, uh, you know, was Canada's fourth largest wireless carrier and was this kind of scrappy upstart that was sort of seen as the challenger to the status quo, um, was credited with driving uh, prices lower or at least creating competition for consumers. And so there was a lot of concern about whether we would allow Rogers to acquire Freedom, And then we would be going down from four carriers, four major carriers to three. Obviously, there's still other regional wireless carriers I want to acknowledge, but they ended up being uh, forced to divest it. Um, So they sold Freedom Mobile to Quebec OR, the uh, owner of Videotron. And so, as we all know, the deal did go ahead. And, you know, what we've seen since then has been kind of a mixed bag. Uh, We have seen some uh, increased uh, pricing competition in the market in terms of like promotional offers around the Christmas holiday and back to school season. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've seen churn in the industry elevated. So churn is this metric of customer turnover on a monthly basis. And so we've seen that tick up a bit. So that's always an indication that there is uh, increased competition. But at the same time, we've also seen both um, Rogers and Bell come out with some price increases, Um, And also, honestly, at the end of the day, when you have a major deal like this, like it can take years to really see what impact on competition it's going to have. And so we haven't even been uh, it hasn't even been a whole year since this deal has closed. And so I think much still remains to be seen.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. So
0: the the Roger Shaw deal did go through, though, the kind of the the internal drama was kind of settled. But how has this played out then, Alex, since then with the rest of the, the Rogers family?
1: So what we saw quite recently was that Melinda and Martha, um, two of the key voices of dissent, um, actually going to court. Um, I should actually mention quickly that uh, Loretta Rogers uh, passed away. Hmm. Um, But so Melinda and Martha uh, ended up in court um, saying that they've essentially been iced out of uh, board meetings. They're not being given the same access to board documents. And that case is now essentially settled because there has been a private settlement in the Rogers family, uh, and Melinda and Martha have agreed to step down from the board. So they are no longer directors of Rogers. Uh, because the terms are confidential, we don't know what they got in exchange for uh, giving up their board seats. Okay. Wow.
0: Just lastly here, Alex, I mean, when you step back and, and look at all of this, how it, how it played out, um, I guess I'm just wondering how you reflect on it. Like, what does all of this say about this telecom empire uh, and, and I guess Canada's telecom industry more broadly?
1: Yeah, look, I think this story raises some some really critical questions about, you know, this very, very important industry about, you know, corporate governance in family controlled companies um, and quite honestly about transparency. I mean, one of the things that I personally find um, to be so interesting uh, is the fact that you do have in this story uh, a a company that is controlled majority uh, by a family. And yet there's a very little um, transparency around the Rogers Control Trust itself. And of course, you know, Canadian laws allow for this. But as a journalist, I'm always in favor of transparency. And so when you have a company where 97.5% of the shares are controlled by this family, and we've now seen, you know, what that can lead to when you have discord in the family. And yet the family itself is not actually required to disclose you know, even who are the advisors to this Rogers Control Trust. But mm. you would think that this is something that maybe the investors, uh, you know, the class B shareholders of Rogers would want to know. Um, and so I think that for me is one of the key takeaways, because, you know, we do here have this very critical company controlling, you know, critical infrastructure in this country. And it's essentially uh, in the hands of one man, and it's something
0: that affects a lot of Canadians, right? People have their their cell phone service through this company. People own shares of this company, so it's it's you know it, it affects a lot of people.
1: That's right. I mean, Rogers touches millions of people's lives, not just through wireless and cable services that they offer, but also as the owners of the Blue Jays, as the owners of MLSE, as the owners of the Rogers Center, where Taylor Swift is going to be performing <laughs> later this year. So this is like a company that really touches a lot of people's lives, and it's a critical service that they provide which is communications and you do essentially have one guy kind of in control of it all and that is edward rogers we don't have a lot of books canadian business books that look at some of these players not a lot of people know very much about the rogers family and they are this extraordinarily powerful and wealthy family that you know has a lot of control over our lives alex thank you so much for being here today thank you so much for having me that's it for today.
0: I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. That succession theme you heard was actually performed by the Globe and Mail's band. Yes, we do have a band. Fun with discipline. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.